Hello, and welcome to The Stockout. The Stockout is your show at FreightWaves for all things related to CPG companies, supply chains, and CPG companies, supply chains. I am your host, Mike Bowden, Disloman Analyst and Market Expert here at FreightWaves. One of the things that I do here is write up a newsletter about uh, CPG companies. Uh, those are consumer packaged goods companies, so anything from packaged food to you know, cosmetics to personal care items, all the things that you buy at any sort of big box retailer, uh, grocer, et cetera, um, you know, right up about uh, about their uh, supply chains. And, you know, quite a lot of volatility this week um, with uh, various companies' earnings. I'll get into that. Um, no sponsor today, no guest today, um, but do want to talk a little bit about sort of the macro, um, you know, news that came out before I get into sort of company-specific earnings and what's happening with some of the company-specific developments. A couple of the companies I'm going to talk about today are uh, Clorox and Tyson, one of which uh, hit a, a recent low, another hit, hit a recent uh, high. But I uh, started getting into talking about just to start off with, you know, some macro trends here. I mean, I think the, the big uh, sort of news today was household debt, um, you know, hit a new high. And I think there's some interesting stats here. Um, you know, this is from the New York uh, Fed. And shows in fourth quarter of 2021, uh, from the previous quarter, a $333 billion increase in consumer debt levels. And that's, you know, over the previous year, over a trillion dollar increase to $15.6 trillion in uh, consumer debt. So a 2.2% increase over the third quarter doesn't sound like a whole lot, but that's just in three months. And that was the largest increase um, since 2007 both in percentage and nominal terms. Of course, we know in 2007, uh, consumers overextended uh, themselves. Um, and, and you sort of look back to where it was you know, two years ago, and it's, it is about a 10% increase versus where we were at the end of 2019. So consumers have certainly taken on a lot more debt. You do see when you break that down into the components, the, the mortgage debt has been uh, you know, kind of the lion's share of it out of the trillion dollar increase in um, consumer debt, $887 billion, you see there on the top line, uh, was was mortgage debt. So a lot of that has to do with rising um, you know, home prices. We've had a sort of a discussion here internally at Freight Waves as to, are we in sort of a, a housing you know, bubble? And sort of the, the point counterpoint goes, well, you know, look how quickly um, you know, mortgage rates of, uh, uh, or um, mortgage uh, debt has, has risen. Uh, you know, people are looking to lock in uh, um, interest rates that are low because we know that the, um, the interest rates are going to be rising for you know a period of time. We're expecting you know multiple you know uh, rises and in, increases in interest rates over the next year. So people are trying to lock that in, sort of going out, rushing to secure a mortgage, buy a house, um, and then they're not going to move for a while. So that could cause um, you know a slowdown in, in, in the coming months. I think maybe the counterpoint to that is that the borrowers um, are a higher quality borrower than we had uh, you know, in, the, in the previous housing you know, boom. Uh, certainly, you sort of go back to the 2007, 2008 timeframe and about 12% of the borrowers were uh, subprime borrowers. Now it's about 2% and, and really the mortgage um, you know, uh, borrowers have been really weighted towards people with very high FICO scores. You can see that when you go into the detail uh, that the Federal Reserve uh, puts out. But what I think this means for uh, consumer packaged goods companies is, you know, you do see this sort of dichotomy between what consumers are doing, which is spending a lot of money and how, how they're feeling when you, you know, look at things like consumer sentiment surveys, where they are concerned about, you know, things like uh, inflation, you know, 
the, the things that they're buying um, rising in price faster than their wages are rising. People losing losing that ground. So there, there is a dichotomy between what consumers are doing, what they're and, and what they're actually saying. Um, uh, so so maybe we get into a situation where consumers you know do have to cut back, you know, at some point. Um, but really, sort of haven't seen it yet in the data. It wasn't too long ago when I had the Consumer Brands Association on this show to talk about. You know trends they're seeing, and 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 they're saying seeing that consumers continuing to open their wallet on higher priced you know items, things like you know the healthier food products, the you know the name brand consumer uh, goods rather than the sort of the generic sort of store store bought goods, things of that nature. But but certainly, I think uh, consumer debt levels are something to keep an eye on uh, here. You know, turning to some of the company specific uh, stuff that um, you know came out this this week and and, and in the, in the last week. I mean, last week. Uh, what really sort of caught my attention is, is Clorox was the worst performing stock in the S&P on Friday. It uh, shares fell about 14% on a Friday. It's the lowest level um, that they have been in, in about three years, over three years. Um, and so this one was a, a round trip during the, the pandemic. I think people you know, sort of piled into to this one like they did a certain sort of pandemic plays. And you saw it go from about 100, and I think I have a stock chart here from, from bar charts going from a about $140 um, a share to about $240 a share. And then it came all the way back down uh, to $145. So, you know, hopefully you weren't a top tick, uh, you know, buyer, but but it's completely uh, pandemic uh, round trip is, um, is is what we saw there. And, you know, the results on, on, on a Thursday, you know, afternoon, you know, I thought were pretty interesting. I mean, people are buying fewer cleaning products as people just get less concerned about, uh, you know the, about the pandemic, sales were down eight percent year over year. But really, the main reason why you know stock was under so much pressure was um, you know, on the margins. So, uh, Clorox is a company whose uh, gross margins tend to be in that mid forty percent range. And even last year, their their, their gross margins were in that mid forty percent range. And this most recent quarter um, had a, a decline in gross margin of twelve hundred and forty basis points. So twelve point four. Uh, percentage point decline. And so their gross margin was 33% versus 45% a year ago. So that's about the the, the sharpest margin contraction that I've seen in uh, you know, following the CPG companies. And um, even though most of them have had you know, gross margin declines, I haven't seen one yet of, of, of that magnitude. And the company breaks this down um, sort of simplistically by saying, well, that gross margin pressure was about two thirds driven by input costs. Uh, and they call out resin specifically. Resins go into some of the products they make, like you know, Glad, uh, you know, uh, garbage bags. Uh, but you know, really, input costs are, are, are rising across the board. Now, the other thing they called out is is rising uh, transportation and supply chain costs, which is what we know about here at Freight Waves. And they said that it was about one third of the gross margin pressure. Which I really think that one third of the gross margin pressure is is more severe than what we've seen at other um, CPG companies. And I, I think that's because of um, you know the, the fact that they run you know lean a lot of automation in, in a lot of their facilities, but also uh, has a lot to do with the way that their um, supply chain has been restructured. Uh, you know during the the pandemic, so pandemic hits, people buy more cleaning supplies, just like they bought a lot more of all these other consumer packaged goods to stock up their pantries and refrigerators, and um, you know they didn't want to bring all of that uh, manufacturing uh, capability in house. That would add to fixed costs, so they did sort of the the, the low risk. Um, option, which I really think is, is sort of the right option. I mean, they went externally and had more third-party companies, um, you know, manufacture some of the, the the goods for them. Now there are some some 
you know, drawbacks to that, even though it, it does make it more flexible. And, and some of the, 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 the drawbacks are, you know, it, it increases the per unit cost of uh, manufacturing the products like, you know, the, the Clorox, you know, wipes, which are in you know, strong demand. Um, if you're doing this externally, if you're using that contract manufacturing, and it also makes uh, the supply chain more concentrated or complicated because you have more production in more locations and it uh, leads to a company having to um, you know, have more in inventory. And I thought one of the interesting uh, things that they said on their analyst call was that they typically have about 55 days of sales in inventory, which actually seems pretty high normally. And, and they've taken that from 55 days to 65 days. Some of that's because there's more, more of their goods are in you know, a further flung you know, locations. And it's, it's just a result of that supply chain extension. And also part of it is just they wanted to make sure to have the products on the shelves and have more buffer in case you know, the transportation capacity didn't show up when it was supposed to show up, et cetera. But, but clearly, you know, big investment in, um, in, in working capital. And then uh, Clorox also talked quite a lot about its uh, transportation uh, costs. They have a, a chart um, showing, you know, sort of what we're seeing in, in sonar in, in terms of uh, contract rates versus um versus spot rates so, so first I'll, I'll talk about you know sort of what we're seeing and uh you know in, in the blue line there is the van contracts this is the initial uh, reporting of uh of van contracts those include those do not include fuel surcharge um but two dollars and 76 a mile you, you've seen that sort of rise steadily over the past year and then i just sort of layered on that um the, the truckstop.com spot rates these are both for dry van and that spot rates do include fuel surcharges but you know, um, and, and that's contributed to some of that increase in spread. But when I look at that, um, you know, the spread that, that that I get is about you know 38 percent, which, if anything, that overstates the current spread between contract rates and spot rates because that spot rate line in green includes fuel surcharge, and 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 the and the, and the base does not. We know fuel surcharge has has increased you know over the past year as as fuel prices have. Have risen, and so, so you sort of compare that what we have in, in, in sonar to, you know, some of the recent uh, statements from from Clorox, and I think that the, the really the, the thing that stood out to me is they said that their spot rates were running fifty percent to seventy five percent above their contract rates. Of course, um, you know, more of the, um, the the shipments were falling through the contract market onto the spot market, so they had a situation where carriers were less compliant. They had to move more uh, loads on the spot market, and then those spot rates. Were really um, have really sort of gone through through, through the roof, um, and, and so um, it's a big part of the reason why um, Clorox's margins contracted as much as they have. Um, so it, it seems like a situation where you know a combination of maybe you know I look at that and I think well maybe the shipper should have um, you know maybe been a little bit more accepting of higher contract rates, uh, so they got that better compliance. I mean, sort of in the past year, I mean we clearly. Uh, truckload rates have, have increased sharply, and um, you know I think a lot of the shippers went in and said, "Okay, well the, your, our rates are going to rise, but we want better compliance over the next year um, in exchange for those much uh, higher uh, contract rates." Not sure that that Clorox was as effective in that as they could have been, um, and it also makes me think that 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 fifty to seventy five percent spread that Clorox is experiencing experiencing between contract rates and 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 spot rates makes me think they're moving in some lanes that are just very Difficult uh, to cover, and, and that accounts for some of that, some of that spread. So these are the type of type of issues that you know I, I'm going to you know continue to talk about in stockout newsletter. You know, I, there's enough stock analysts that cover the detail of 
um, you know, where they think earnings are going to be in the next couple of years. I'm going to try to, you know, focus in on some of these supply chain issues. I thought it was a good um, sort of example of, of, of that fortunate that uh, the, the company was, was um, you know, willing to disclose as, as much as they did. You know, moving on to another uh, consumer uh, goods uh, company that um, has had quite a lot of volatility is Tyson. Now, Tyson's uh, shares have gone the opposite direction. They just hit a new record high. They were up um, uh, double digits, you know, double digit percentage yesterday. And, um, you know, they had at, at strong results. They've had strong results the past you know, few quarters, uh, you know, despite the, the fact that they've had you know, issues with, with, with labor. And I think what it's sort of come down to is the, the fact that, you know, people are willing to spend more on meat. Uh, you sort of look at, you know, which grocery items, you know, are, are causing most of the inflation. And a lot of that, you know, is, is the meat categories where you're seeing the, the meat uh, you know, prices inflate um, about 20% versus, you know, where they were. If you look at, you know, Tyson's uh, results specifically, you know, they said, you know, beef prices up 25%, chicken prices up 37%. So this is that, uh, what you're seeing now is, is that Tyson uh, stock chart where you see that, um, you know, go, that's been basically a, a double from the low in March of, of 2020, went from about $50 at, at a low to um, just about $100, you know, currently. So, um, you know, they're, they're saying that, you know, prices rise, consumers, you know, willing to accept those, those prices. It is a much more concentrated industry. There's really four, um, you know, meat producers, which is, is part of the reason I think that uh, the administration has come after the, the, the meat industry for, um, for inflation. I mean, I think the, the administration ahead of the midterm elections is trying to deflect blame for rising food prices. You know, the, the, you know, the meat has been the biggest component of that. And then you have a meat industry that's concentrated. So that's made them sort of an easy target. And, uh, but Tyson um, and the other meat companies have been, uh, you know, pretty strong in uh, sort of de defending themselves saying, well, this is, you know, a result of market conditions. These are our prices that are being passed on. These, these higher prices reflect a higher fuel costs, higher transportation costs, higher wages, uh, you know, uh, higher amounts that we're paying for, uh, the basically the the raw inputs, which is in this case, you know, animals, all of these things, you know, feed prices, um, you know, what the animals are are, are eating, those have risen uh, sharply. So, you know, they they think it's done a nice job of uh, defending themselves. Um, and, and and really, sort of Tyson's biggest issue now is a labor shortage, and they've done some, I think, pretty creative things to you know get people in the door, keep people in the door, you know, helping people out with what their whatever their sticking points are. In some cases, it's you know, not having, you know, transportation. So they're doing more to sort of arrange that or having, um, you know, some of these plants, you know, child care on site for people who can't, you know, uh, leave their kids. And that's why they're not showing up for work. So, so Tyson's doing more with that. They're also doing a lot more with automation uh, to reduce the number of employees they need uh, normally. Um, and, and through that, um, they should get quite a lot of productivity savings. They're targeting a billion dollars of productivity savings with 300 to 400 million of that uh, for, for this for this year. They also said some interesting things about transportation logistics I want to highlight. And uh, they said their freight costs are up 32 percent, which um, is, is quite a is, is quite a number. Um, you know, I hadn't heard uh, you know that number thrown out by other CPG companies specifically, but it'll be interesting to see if uh, others, as, as they report in the coming weeks, you know, share uh, similar amounts. They also, they also say that Tyson, Tyson said that it's, it's uh, sort of taking additional steps to optimize its carrier mix. So they use a combination of private fleet, dedicated, and um, you know, just regular third-party for hire 
you know, carriers and, um, you know, they've taken a whole uh, sort of fresh look at optimizing, you know, which freight needs to go in, um, in, in which of those, in, in which of those modes. And they think that they think that's going to help mitigate, you know, some of this rising cost. But, um, you know, so far, uh, you know, Tyson's been successful in being able to pass on, you know, some of those costs to consumers um, and, and their customers sort of more in a, a more timely manner than we've seen from some other CPG companies. And, and certainly what, what I was talking about earlier with, with Clorox, where the Clorox says it's going to take them at least 12 to 18 months to, to recover some of that margin pressure that they experienced from those from those rising costs. So that's enough about, I think, CPG earnings. Um, you know, going to continue to watch the uh, transportation carriers' uh, earnings. Uh, so sort of look at this from from both uh, perspectives. I mean, one that I'm going to be watching closely uh, tonight is uh, Hub Group, which is a company that I followed, uh, you know, for a long time. You know, Hub Group is a big domestic intermodal um, uh, company, and uh, they have other you know, segments as well. You know, brokerage, uh, really big in domestic, you know, intermodal and uh, you know, one of the things that they've, they've said recently uh, publicly is that there should be another uh, steep um, increase in uh, domestic intermodal contract rates this year. So that's one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm uh, going to be watching uh, when they give, um, you know, outlook for 2022 is, are those rate increases going to be as severe as they alluded to earlier? There was a, um, a, a, a I guess, a show uh, that was hosted by Mike Regan, a Transact, uh, that, that was very widely attended. And uh, there's uh, the Hub Group CEO was on that call. It was uh, Dave Yeager, and uh, he said that uh, it's going to be double-digit rate increases on the uh, domestic intermodal for domestic intermodal contracts in 2022, on top of uh, double-digit increases on 2021. And he said that for those shippers that had not yet repriced their contracts since early 2021, their rates are stale, and those could be up upwards of 20%. So we'll see if um, you know we, we hear something similar on that call tonight. Also interested to hear Hub Group's take on congestion um, you know, at the port of LA Long Beach. I mean, one of the interesting things that we've seen in Sonar is pretty sharp dichotomy between international intermodal volume and domestic intermodal volume, where international is way off. It's, it's off about 18% um, in, the, in the recent weeks, whereas domestic intermodal sort of flat to, to up. And so that's sort of the detail that you don't get if you just look at data from the Association of American Railroads, which shows it down in the last four weeks, about about 11%. Uh, so the, the domestic intermodal market, at least from my perspective, seems like it's been more fluid than it has been uh, you know, here recently. Um, but looking forward to hearing what um, you know, Hub Group uh, uh, says. And uh, we'll be watching the, the, the transportation earnings in addition to the CPG earnings. Uh, we'll plan to put out another Stockout newsletter this week. If you're not signed up for that already, uh, please uh, do so at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout. Or if you just go to freightwaves.com, there's a banner across the top that says newsletters, and you can sign up for my newsletters in addition to some of the other uh, really good ones we have, like point of sale if you're interested in retailers, transmission if you're interested in automotive components, loaded and rolling, which is a new one um, on the, the enterprise uh, truckload uh, carriers and a call check, which is on uh, the brokers. So um, you know, any type of uh, you know, market that you're in, uh, in freight and logistics, we should have something pretty uh, closely tailored uh, to you. Um, and then also uh, on the future newsletters, plan to discuss uh, CPG companies' earnings uh, sort of slated for later this week. We have L'Oreal, of course, the, the big uh, cosmetics giant, Unilever and uh, Kellogg. Uh, with Unilever, it'll be 
interesting to see if they give any additional detail on you know, the company's restructuring. I mean, they have alluded to earlier about um, you know divesting certain um, you know certain brands, uh, you know certain uh, segments. Um, they have a you know activist you know shareholder, um, which hasn't really said what they're they're going to do, if anything. But um, you know that could take the company in, in a new uh, you know direction. Uh, but um, it'd be interesting to see if we get any you know preliminary. Um, you know, thoughts there, you know, Lever tried to do, you know, big, you know, acquisition that would have gotten them into uh, sort of consumer uh, pharmaceuticals that, that, that fell through because of valuation. But it'll be very interesting to see, you know, over the next few years, what Unilever starts to look like. I think it's going to look something very different uh, than it, what it looks like uh, today. Um, you know, also, you know, Kellogg will be, will be reporting. It'll be interesting to see what Kellogg has to say on, the impact that the strikes uh, ended up having. I mean, they had all those uh, strikes at, you know, bakeries in four different uh, states. Those are, um, you know, uh, facilities that made a lot of the cereal. And, you know, they were on strike for about uh, 10 weeks and uh, Kellogg had to respond with um, some creativity in its supply chains, basically elongating its supply chains, you know, importing certain uh, products that they wouldn't normally import. Normally like cereal would be manufactured you know, domestically, um, but they were, you know, importing boxes of cereal, which they wouldn't typically do. They also had some management personnel uh, come in and, 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 and fill in on, um, you know, on some of those production uh, lines, which is something the, the railroads have, have, have typically done. So, you know, go through some of those, um, you, know, you know, CPG uh, you know, results, um, but, uh, but really, um, you know, it'll be interesting to, to see uh, you know what happens with um, you know these companies over the next year year or so because really in, in 2021 I thought the sort of the, the the main thing that happened was cost rose faster than the, than these CPG companies could pass those costs on to their consumers and uh, in 2022 will be a, a year where a lot of those companies try to regain uh, that those gross margins that they had lost and in some cases it was just a couple hundred basis points and I think uh, Clorox was sort of at the top end of that range. Of uh, close to twelve to twelve hundred uh, you know basis points, and we'll also um, sort of see what they have to say on their some of their supply chains. I mean, another you know, thing I sort of neglected to mention with with Tyson was part part of their their volume um, on the beef segment specifically was impaired by the congestion at the West Coast ports, where typically they would have um, exported more beef than uh, they they typically would, but had a hard time getting that beef. You know, exported um, you know, on time to you know with, within the within the fourth quarter. So that's another sort of constraint um, as as we look across the transportation landscape. I mean, I think that's one of the sort of the interesting things is just the, just how much more difficult it has been to get goods you know in and out of the West Coast ports. Um, you know, at Supply Chain Week, which is coming up next week, would encourage everyone to to, to listen to the Supply Chain Week. I'm interviewing. Uh, the CEO of the Harbor Trucking Associations, which is an um, industry organization that uh, represents the West Coast uh, drayage companies. So these are companies that haul containers, you know, basically from the ports, average about 40 miles. And, you know, they're dealing with more um, issues than they typically would in terms of finding personnel, in, in, in terms of dealing with uh, lack of space, you know, at the ports, lack of warehousing space, you know, just general congestion at the ports. So, would encourage you to uh, you know check that out. Um, you know a lot going on. You know there also did a um, interview um, for, for that, that's going to be public next week with Harris uh, Ligon, and Harris is the CEO and co-founder of 
a stealth uh, startup a company in the transportation logistics space. So this is a company that, in stealth, which that means that they're not um, ready to to tell the world, you know, what they're doing for fear that someone else will go in and copy the idea. Um, but uh, all, all he was able to say was, well, it has something to do with uh, the railroads and industrial activity on the railroads and something with, with data. And, um, you know, we have a good discussion that's going to be public, you know, next week about sort of what's happening in that space. I think in general, the industrial production growth is expected to be in sort of that, that four, four and a half percent range. So uh, supposed to be pretty, um, pretty, pretty healthy. And then some of the railroads are saying, well, they're going to grow industrial production faster than that. We look at Union Pacific saying, okay, you know, you know, IP is going to grow four and a half percent, and and we're going to grow you know some you know something faster than that. So I think a lot of the railroads are trying to make a bigger push into finding an, an avenue for for growth, um, which is something that they have uh, have struggled with. I think they're getting to the point where they can only take down their operating ratios so far, and uh, intermodal really wasn't the growth area that it had been um, in 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 recent years. So you know, look forward to um, you know, having everyone at a global supply chain week next week. I think it runs um, sort of all, all, all week next week, four or five days, and a different topic on, on each day. So with that, uh, that's really what I wanted to go through uh, today. Feel free to send me an email at mbowdendistal at freightwaves.com. Hopefully everyone enjoys the Olympics and the Super Bowl this week. 